I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the VCM Quick Strike for Monday, October 10th, 2022. Remember last week we talked about the Uber CISO who was convicted, not yet sentenced, but convicted on a couple of accounts uh, related to actions from data breach from Uber. There's a really interesting opinion piece in Forbes.com that came out on Saturday that I want to talk about a little bit because I think it makes some decent points. Title is Uber Trial, a Lost Opportunity for Cyber Governance. The main gist of the article is that the trial against Mr. Sullivan was the wrong result and a lost opportunity for the federal government to send a real message and set an example on cyber governance. Now, they go on to say that Sullivan was convicted for failing to report a data breach, which is not a crime, but the government made it into a crime by asserting that his payments to the hackers concealed the attack to Uber and that his failure to report the data theft obstructed an already existing FTC investigation. I'm not going to opine on those two charges. I think that there's been a lot said about that. And certainly there's there's still going to be ongoing news with regards to the sentencing. But what is interesting here is first of all, the article notes, as we all know, is that, quote, it was the first time a CISO or CSO has been held criminally liable for their actions in managing a cyber attack until and until companies treat cyber as an enterprise risk and make business units responsible for the systems and data they use, cybersecurity programs will continue to lag and CISOs, CSOs will be incentivized to minimize or even lie about cyber attacks. I think that that is spot on. I think that there is a culture still within a lot of businesses that tend to think that security is somebody else's issue, either IT or if you have a CISO in their staff, and that needs to change. As the article goes on to say, quote, the ostrich defense is gone. And I'm going to quote just from this article one more time. Directors and officers have a fiduciary duty to protect the assets of a corporation. Recent holdings in Delaware case law work to collectively narrow, under certain circumstances, the deference given to boards, particularly with respect to meeting their duty of loyalty and good faith oversight. The cases made clear that boards must make a good faith effort to establish a board-level system of monitoring and reporting and regular review of key risks. And what have I said repeatedly on this podcast, the primary duty of the CISO or the CSO or the virtual CISO is to provide sufficient and complete and necessary information on information security threats and posture so that the board of directors and the C-suite can make risk-informed decisions. So in that sense, I agree with the article. I do fear that perhaps this case did not do enough to bring that out. So I would encourage you to read that opinion piece. It's quite interesting. From the Hacker News, chipmaker Intel has confirmed that proprietary source code related to its Alder Lake CPUs has been leaked following its release by an unknown third party on 4chan and GitHub last week. Now, Intel said in a statement that the leak doesn't expose any new security vulnerabilities as we do not rely on obfuscation of information as a security measure. That's a quote from Intel. Also go on to say in the article that it's encouraging that broader security research community, that Intel is encouraging the broader security research community to report any potential issues through its bug bounty program, adding that it's reaching out to customers to notify them of the matter. 
From the register, criminal multi-tool Lilith bot arrives on malware as a service scene. This is according to Zscaler's Threat Lab Z, or Threat Labs, Threat Intelligence Unit. It says that the Eternity Group is offering the multi-function Lilith bot malware through a dedicated Telegram group and a Tor link where cybercriminals can acquire various payloads via subscriptions. And it goes on to say, I found this rather interesting. The Eternity Group appears to be a high-functioning unit with a customer-friendly service, regularly updating its payloads, providing customized viruses, and creating viruses that come with add-on features an attacker may need. The price for the malware ranges from $90 to $470 in the group, which typically operates, as I said before, through Telegram. It's very flexible in its payment acceptance in an array of cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero, and Dash. So it's kind of nice to see that they are actually being customer friendly. Of course, I say that sarcastically, but we have to understand that these malware as a service groups out there and platforms that it is actually a business and they run it like a business. We said that before, but it bears repeating. From Healthcare Dive, an IT security incident that was reported last week by Common Spirit Health, one of the nation's largest health systems, is likely a cyber attack, according to security experts. Now, Common Spirit did not verify this. They just simply said that the system was unable to provide more details. Um, Some of their facilities, the article talks about in Chattanooga, Tennessee, for example, move certain systems offline, including electronic health records, according to a statement from CHI Memorial, which operates two hospitals in the Chattanooga area. Now, typically when you do this, when you move systems offline and, and also go to more of a paper-based system, that that's usually indicative that they're trying to deal with a ransomware attack. So more, more likely than not, we're going to hear that that's verified. One of the experts in the article goes on to say as well, too, pointing out that attackers know that hospitals will feel pain from these types of attacks because they need to operate every hour of every day. And so there's that immediacy and urgency to get the problem resolved rapidly. From SC Media, backdoored version of a popular network admin tool hits 80 organizations around the globe. This tool apparently is called Advanced IP Scanner. I'm not familiar with this with this tool myself, but if you use it, you may want to check the article and check the version that you've installed. Apparently, it's typically used by larger organizations to provide system admins with an overview of their network and security enthusiasts enthusiasts insight into operations and devices in their home network. Apparently, the malware was hosted on two sites. The domains were almost identical to the legitimate advanced IP scanner website, differing only by one letter, which is very common as far as phishing goes, and as far as malware installation and all of that. Try to trick you with a different but very similar looking domain name. So I'd encourage you to take a look at that. And I was actually going to talk a little bit more about verifying tools that we download in our jobs. But as I've been recording this this episode today, I think I'm actually going to have a few comments on the hospital system intrusion malware ransomware and response. And I'll have that in 30 seconds. The reason why I decided to change what I was going to talk about in the opinion segment is 
this is the time of the year where my firm, VCSO Services, we will typically run the annual business continuity, disaster recovery, incident response type tabletop exercises with our clients. And I always enjoy this because this gives me an opportunity early in the year to think about a good scenario and then run with the scenario, write the scenario up and have a lot of fun crafting it and putting in some twists and turns and here and there. And I understand that for a lot of folks that that seems to be just a exercise, an unnecessary exercise, which is why I try to make it fun, make it interactive and always explain that there's no wrong answer here. We're just trying to figure out gaps before an incident happens. So in the case with the hospital system, IT incident, which is most likely ransomware, the reason why they think it's most likely ransomware is because A, that some systems have been taken offline and B, some of the organizations affected have gone to a paper model of conducting business. Now, hospitals in particular, as the article that I read stated is why they're a target, is that they're a 24-7, 365 uh, operation for obvious reasons. And to be able to turn on a dime, if you will, and be able to still conduct business using paper methods, that's not something that happens just as a fluke. I am sure that if they were able to do that, they have practiced this before in the past. That's why when you look at business continuity tabletop exercises, you have to look at it as what could happen in the real world. Because if you have to go today, think about this for your business, whether you're in security for the business or you're a business owner or business executive, how would your business run if you had to shut off systems? Could you go to a paper-based system easily? And don't just say, yeah, I think we can definitely do it. Have you tested that? Because in all instances in my entire career where I have facilitated and or participated in business continuity tabletop exercises, there have been gaps that some of them could have been very, very detrimental to trying to get the business up. Sort of like these aha moments. Oh, I, ne I never thought about that. Or I thought so-and-so is taking care of that. So I'd encourage you, I know this is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and I kind of shy away from the basics of, you know about passwords and so on and so forth, but take it to another level, maybe Cybersecurity Awareness 201 instead of 101. And that is, look at your business continuity program. Look at, is when was the last time that you tested it, tested it, reviewed it, did you find any gaps? Would this sort of an incident where if you have a ransomware attack, would you be able to go to a paper-based system? Have, do you have a playbook for a ransomware attack? These are all things that you should be looking at before it actually happens. And that's it for today. We've got a great episode tomorrow with VCSO David Leach. Very interesting conversation with him. And then on Wednesday, we have the second in our series of interviews, discussions recorded at Retreat at Montreat College a few weeks ago. This is with Michelle Pupo, who is the Senior Director of Cybersecurity Education at the Carolina Cyber Center. So I hope you can join us. Two great discussions. And until then, stay secure.